You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 403. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at the HBO Max series, Befarners. And you're doing a little power washing today, or, or actually, I should say your overpaid labor force is apparently doing the power <laughs> my, washing. Oh, underpaid, maybe. Well, overpaid in, in, in so far as he gets uh, free room and board for life, but uh, otherwise. Um, now, we're actually sending him to my mother-in-law's to, uh, to do her the walls of her condo there. So, Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. The thing I always wonder about owning a power washer, because I, I don't own one, can you use it to wash your car? Uh, you probably can. It has different settings, and the highest setting will probably peel the paint off of your car, so you wouldn't want to use that. But Okay. Uh, uh, I think the lowest setting would be good. Uh, I actually okay. got myself in the foot with the highest setting one time, and that was not that wasn't great. All toes still attached, hopefully. Everything's still attached, yeah. It just stung a little bit, but yeah. So that, that top setting is pretty pretty powerful. That'll that'll take, you know, paint off of stuff and everything, but the, the lowest setting is would probably be okay for for a car. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I got out and cut my lawn for the first time yesterday, mainly because I wanted to try out my new tractor, but Nice, right, right. Once I got out there it needed it, so we'll yeah. see. Yeah, um, um, my dad got it for us when we moved into this house, like, uh, I guess it was six, 17, 17 years ago. And, um, you know, we use it probably just once a year. You know, I would, it's probably something if I didn't have, I'd, I'd manage without it. But it's nice because we got a lot of trees around here in the spring. You get all kinds of pollen all over everything. So it's nice to get that stuff off and everything. So. All right, well, we do have a lot to talk about with this episode of Be Foreigners, which is episode three of season one. But before we get to that, there's two shows I'm watching. Uh, I was going to say both on Netflix, but now, you know what? I can't keep track of what's on HBO Max now and what's on <laughs> Netflix. Right. But, but the show that's on Netflix is called The Serpent. And it stars Jenna Coleman, who uh, obviously we all know from Victoria, and and then that other show that she was in. Um, I don't yeah, know, some, there was like a guy. I remember there being like some kind of telephone box played prominently into it. I might have been remember. blue. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but this is this is a uh, a fascinating show. It, it's I guess based on a true story about this couple that was living in Southeast Asia in the early to mid seventies along what's apparently known as the hippie trail. So I guess you had a lot of these U S hippies going over there to get in touch with whatever. And basically what they did was take advantage, rob, steal and murder them and just continue to evade the police which is where we are at, at this point in the series it's it's clearly a dark show i nearly couldn't go any further but it, it's just so intriguing to find out what is going to happen and, and jenna coleman is great and, and one of the things that that i've always said that the mark of a great actor is being able to play just a multitude of roles because it's a fascinating character she plays because on the one hand you want to believe that she's inherently good but she's not yeah. <laughs> so um now the other show is called the missing 
And it's basically this couple and their five-year-old son that are English, although I think at some point he says he's Irish, but they, they live in England and they've gone to France for holiday and the car breaks down. They're holed up in this small town while their car is getting fixed and their son disappears. So it's, it's all about finding the son and finding out what happened to them. But the protagonist, the father is so unlikable that it becomes virtually unwatchable. Now, there are a, a boatload of plot holes, but it's one of those stories that once you get sucked in, it's like, all right, fine. I hate him. I hate her. The story's got flaws, but I got to know what happens. And I told my wife at one point that I quit, but I mean, you've been married long enough to know that mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't going to hold out very long on that since she liked the show. But uh, I don't, I don't know if I can recommend it or not. I mean, as, as mysteries go, it's got its flaws, no doubt. And, and the ending is maybe one of them, but I don't know. Anyway, it's called the missing. I think it might be on HBO max. Now that I think about it. And yeah. then the, well, and the serpent. we've seen the, uh, the guy who plays the dad. Is that, uh, was it Sam something? Yes. Yeah. That's uh, David Morrissey. He was actually in an episode of Dr. Who. Oh no, that's in season two. So, so in other uh, words, it's one of those shows that they pick up a new storyline in season two. So, David Morrissey, that's not the one I I saw. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. But gotcha. Anyway, what do you got? Well, the first one is an ill-fated show that uh, on Netflix just got the one season and then got the the chop for season two called. Uh, all right, forgive me, everyone who actually speaks French. Uh, La Revolution. You might have seen it. It might have popped up. It, it kept popping up in my you should watch this thing. Though, I wish I could adjust the setting somehow to just don't su- suggest shows that only get one season and then you cancel them. Um, but basically, it takes place in the, the early, I guess I couldn't even say the early days of the French Revolution of 1789. Um, it was, it's actually kind of the, it takes place pre revolution, but we see, you know, the, you know, it, it turns out that the, the aristocracy, some of them have this, I guess, a disease where they, you know, they're basically, they're kind of like vampire zombie mixes. I think probably mostly zombies, but they're, they're not like mindless. They, they're able to act like themselves and everything they just need to feed on people and so the you know obviously we see the the metaphor here they are literally feeding on on the poor right right um yeah we did see the first couple episodes of that by the way okay i'm not sure why we didn't continue it was it was good i liked it um it, it wasn't great you know there were there were definitely some some problems with it but the you know the characters were were for the most part, were characters I root for, and the lead characters, uh, Joseph uh, Guillotin, who is obviously uh, the eponymous inventor—not inventor, but uh, popularizer, I guess I should say—of the decapitation uh, method of choice during the Revolution, and up until like the 20th century, actually, I guess France was still 
executing people by guillotine up until the 20th century. Like pretty, fairly, I was shocked to hear when I couldn't remember the date, but it was it was surprising to hear when the last guillotine execution took place. But um, so it was just it was it was a good show. I was I was I was into it for sure. Uh, I like I don't know about the first. I think the first episode I kind of had to power through. I, I think I didn't necessarily. I wasn't there all the way in the first episode, but once. You start kind of getting into the characters. Um, I got into it more. Uh, yeah, and then at the end, when you uh, you know kind of Google the Revolution season two, there's like, nope. So I'm like, what a bummer. So, but anyway, it's cool. Uh, you know, I guess if I'm going into it, you know, it's only going to get the one season, and you know, there's not there's going to be things at the end that are unresolved, and you can just kind of accept it for what it is and and go with it as it is. Uh, then you would enjoy this. I also wanted to bring up a uh, a movie I watched the other night, two nights ago, that I'd never heard of before, which I'm surprised because it's Nicolas Cage, uh, called Next. Have you ever heard of this movie? I have not, no. Yeah, I hadn't either. But it, like, it popped up in my, like, on my news feed on my phone that the, you, know, you have to watch this sci-fi film that Nicolas Cage is in. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this film. So it's pretty interesting. He plays a uh, like a magician in Las Vegas who can see two minutes into his own future. And uh, there, there is a pretty sizable plot contrivance where the FBI is trying to get him to help them find someone who has uh, stolen uh, nuclear weapons and is threatening to, to blow them up in the United States and everything. So, you know, it, it, was, it was actually pretty enjoyable. It was, it was a pretty cool movie. Uh, again, not great. Uh, there were some... Pretty grown worthy things, not you know, not the least of which the whole plot contrivance of needing this guy to, you know, like th- this FBI agent who, who is oh, it's um, Julianne Moore, and she's like determined that this is the way they're going to find you know, like it's, it's almost like her her boss is like, all right, we need to find these guys. She's like, no, I need to find this guy who can see into the future, and that's how we're going to solve this case. It just seems like I, I hope the FBI doesn't actually work like that, but. Um, yeah, so it was it was pretty cool. It's it's uh, on Amazon Prime, so um, unfortunately, Dave, you can't see it, but uh, it, I, I thought it was a a, a worthwhile uh, call there. All right, well, let's get to some Beef Foreigners, episode three of season one, written by Eilif Skodvin, directed by Jens Lien, and that seems to be the trend on the first three episodes. Aired originally August twenty eighth, two thousand nineteen. You know, we've talked about the timeline a little bit, and Fred and I were doing a little back and forth. I can't remember if it was one of the uh, three-way message uh, on Facebook that that you were involved with. But I I guess we have to establish the 17-year time frame. You mentioned Lars' wife being pregnant in the pilot, and, and I've looked at it. Fred sent us a screen cap, and it does appear she's pregnant, but they didn't make it so obvious, which they probably did deliberately. But regardless, do you think that's reasonable? Go ahead and go with that seventeen-year time frame. Yeah. Okay. I'm, which, I'm like a hundred, I'm, I'm like ninety-nine point eight percent sure she's pregnant. Yeah, and, and, first and one. again, you mentioned Lars' gray hair, and it's considerably grayer now than it was in the first episode, which it wasn't gray at all at that point. So yeah, I don't think it's not gray at all back then. Yeah, so. right. And the fact that he's got a teenage daughter is, you know, certainly going to increase that gray, I would think. 
but yeah, for sure. But well, also it's it's definitely like seventeen years, not eighteen. I think before the first two episodes, I was under the assumption that Ingrid was in her final year of school, but she's not. She's in her what we would call her junior year here in the states. In other words, her her second to the last year because uh, well, Al Fielder says you're going to graduate next year, right? Oh, correct. Well, I guess of course it could be in the fall. And she just meant like next calendar year. So, so I guess that's still a little unsure. But, but it seems like, well, of course, if you're you're planning for something as big as your, this, this roost fairing that, um, you know, you're going to, you're not going to save that to the last minute. You know, you're going to start playing for that stuff probably well in advance. Oh, yeah. And do we know that for true? Um, yeah. So regardless, we're in the 15 to 17 year time frame. So, uh which does become important as we talk about some of the things that pop up in this episode. Uh, another thing that pops up is whether or not you can travel back in time. And we are continually presented with uh, teachers, uh, just offhand comments. Alfidar makes one in, in this episode that, Oh no, you can't travel back in time. And it, of course, the the question I would say was, well, how do you know that? But we, right. we get probably because morons like that 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 one dude try try it right <laughs> and, and, and we'll we'll get to him in a second. So why don't I hold off on on, on where I was going to go with this and and we'll get to that in, in a right. second. Um, obviously, the murder investigation is still front and center, and we say see Alfidar and and Lars meet with the medical examiner who tells them the original autopsy was flawed and we get a pretty cool reveal as he shows them the Lego piece that's been in her for 20 years, which of course tells us that she's definitely not a prehistorian. And and I love her response. What kind of present day woman would pose as a stone age person? And, and I love that about her as she looks around at, at what some of these people are doing and she, she just shakes her head. And of course, I think a lot of us do that about certain things we see yeah, sure. taking place in society as well. But uh, did you recognize it as a Lego piece? I, I didn't initially. I did. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So it's been a while since I played with Lego. Uh, I think we, uh. <laughs> I think we talked about this with Fred a, while, a few months yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely a Lego and, and definitely not something that was uh, in this, the Stone Age, but apparently something that will survive well into the whatever amount of time between the Stone Age and now will probably still have Legos from, from now till then in some way or another. Right. So the cockroach people will be playing with them. Right. And, and while our first question might be, well, why did she make herself appear to be a stone age person. And one of the things we learn in this episode is that there are a lot of people that just feel they were born in the wrong time period. And it it always makes me think about people that believe in reincarnation and, Oh yes, I was, I was reincarnated, you know, in, in a past life, I was an Egyptian king or queen or is you ever notice people in their past lives they're always something extremely important right right Uh, that's what i I like the uh i don't know if you ever saw the movie 
uh, defend, defending your life, I think it is. Oh, yeah, with Albert Brooks. Yeah, and uh, you know he sees his past lives, and in each of his past lives, he was you know so like I just remember the one like he was a, a, an African person running away, and he was just always kind of this kind of cowardly person in each of his past lives. Um, that that was just a hilarious scene. That yeah, because everyone thinks, oh, I was, you know, in, in some past life, I was probably someone you know important or significant, and um, in that one, they totally play off of that. Yeah. Now they have come to realize that this owner of a local club is somehow linked to this murder, or at least they suspect. So they're going to go interrogate him, investigate what he might know. Alfidar is given a weapon, which this is clearly her first assignment with a gun. And she's trying to be so cool. And of course we know she's a shield maiden. We know she is this, incredible warrior who's probably extremely adept with a wooden shield an axe a spear not so much a handgun no probably oh and, and that's you know obviously we are definitely not on, on wenche's side at all with her attitude so it's a little painful for all of us when she you know kind of is a little bit justified in uh being uh you know not thrilled to give uh to give a gun to uh, to Alfieldier. Although, and we'll get to that in a second, it does turn out to not be her fault. And you know, apparently the tech report comes back that the gun was faulty because she just sets it down. But uh, we'll, we'll get that to a second because they arrive and... and well, I, I, just, I, I feel... And I, I'm not a cop really, but I feel like the first step to putting a gun back into holding is to take all the bullets out of it you would think i just yeah yeah but uh anyway they they track down this club owner and he's in the middle of a ceremony that's going to culminate him going into the water with the intent of returning to his original time period and of course there's that old dude that's apparently calculated that another flash will occur at this moment now there are a lot of reasons to look at this simply as a ridiculous hoax not the least of which is whatever it is he's smoking to (laughs) prepare himself my theory would be opium and that's what i thought as well but it's not unreasonable that somebody with a reasonably scientific mind hasn't been keeping track of flashes now whether or not this guy is one of them (laughs) remains to be seen but it does make us think that if there is a pattern that has evolved then maybe there is something to this i mean we don't see it in this scene but i do think it's something that's worth paying attention to you know but part of it is this this guy is just so like ridiculous yes of course you know like and i guess it's H H C. I they did. I think they said his name. I, I I don't know if I got it right. Holger maybe, but uh, you know he's just you know he's so doped up and everything, and you know this whole thing of th- this and like this doctor who's you know giving him the the quote unquote science behind going back does not look like. I mean, as he also is smoking the opium, has to be reprimanded for not so he doesn't smoke at all so we think that a lot of these this, I, I believe this theory of going back in time is, is 
based more on drug-addled imagination rather than any kind of actual, you know, science or something. Oh, uh, no question. No question. So, you know, it's something we'll keep our eye on if it pops up again. But he is, as you said, so doped up from the ceremony that, that when they're questioning him, you know it's only a matter of time before he's going to give them something. And he does, ironically, give up the name Navin. And yeah. it, of course you know lead, leads them to uh you know naked guy with the uh blogging wife but she sets down the gun it goes off ricochets hits lars in the leg in terms of plot holes it, when she's bandaging his wound it's bleeding pretty badly i can't imagine they didn't call 911 or whatever the equivalent in england it's the three nines uh, you know, whatever. Obviously, he eventually gets to the hospital, so maybe she's just, you know. Yep. Uh, um, and then they have to report the incident, which is no big surprise. But, of course, Wanky is is beside herself that this might be the opportunity that we can get rid of the department mascot. But, of course, that's not going to be the case. Um, you know, we, we talked last time about Alfidar and whether she knew how to read when she came to the 21st century, which we decided is highly unlikely. We don't know how long right. she's been here. Clearly she knows how to read well, and she's got a knack for research. Now that she's really learning that police work isn't always running out and beating the crap out of bad guys and throwing the cuffs on them. It, it requires a lot of paperwork and, and research. And, you know, she unearthed this lead, uh, that leads them to Navin, AKA naked guy. It's, it's again, I think a fascinating aspect of her. And again, I think it's one of those things that, that enables Lars to really more tightly bond with her as a partner. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the big things we see in this episode is, is this increasing bond between the two of them. I, I got the impression from, the her exoneration for the gun incident was kind of like it was getting swept under the rug. You know, they came up with some, oh, the gun was faulty and uh, just as a way to, to keep, to keep her on board. Right. Because they, the, 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 the higher ups are committed to her succeeding um, as, you know, as a police officer. So it, it seemed to me that, that, you know, like they're, like I said, I mean, I just I feel like she probably should have unloaded the gun before putting it in there. So it's not entirely the gun's fault. But anyway, yeah, I guess it's a, a minor thing, except that just she she does have I, I think she you know, the people in charge at, at the police uh, do have her back. But uh, but but yeah, you know, like she can, she's able to do the work. Right. I mean, even though and I, I think she's probably more even more motivated to prove that she can do that part of 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 the job rather than just running like you said running around and you know beating people up and cuffing them that she can actually you know do the the leg work and and the the brain work that's uh required for an investigation and uh so yeah we definitely see that yeah um now you could argue that as her partner he should maybe have kept a closer eye on her and and the weapon but uh, whatever I did like, I think it was Lars that said it, although it could have been the captain, you know, shooting your partner in the legs. One thing hitting the coffee maker, yeah. 
that's pretty right. bad. But when you get a better coffee maker out of it, then, you know, it's kind of a win-win. Yep, there is that. So uh, I mentioned earlier the therapy group for people, quote, born in the wrong millennium. And, and of course, Alphadar and Lars visit the community for trans-temporal people, which he probably should have been in California somewhere. Yeah. I'm sorry about if I'm offending anybody that's living in or from California, but she looks both disgusted and can't really believe her eyes that there are people like this, which again, seems to be a recurring theme, not only for the show, but, but for her, they interview the woman who's the head of this community. And then what's the deal with that younger woman? Clearly she's supposed to be from the 19th century, but she's got that kind of Amish feel yeah. to her in terms of the clothing well she's clearly a another trans temporal right she is someone who was born in the modern era and who is who identifies as a person from the 19th century but you know a she is able to hack into lars's laptop and and copy tons of files to her thumb drive and then she uh she takes down novin man <laughs> she's able to put him at her mercy physically. So there is definitely a lot more to, to this woman than meets the eye. You know, I just want <clears throat> one thing I, I, that I, I thought is seeing, you know, Al Fielder's reaction to the, the trans temporal people, because you know, obviously in this day and age, you know, we understand people identifying and sometimes they, you know, biology and identity are not necessarily the same thing. But with this, I think Al Fielder looks at is like, you know, why would you want to like, you know, she, she would probably rather, you know, be, have been born in her age, be able to live in the age in which she was born. Right. Uh, her feeling out of place all the time. I mean, that's a literal feel. She literally is not in her right time period. So when she sees people who were born who are existing in the time period in which they were born, it probably confuses her why they would want to act like they are, you know, or, or, you know, identify with, you know, a, a different time period, just as, you know, she, she probably wishes she could, like I said, she probably wish she were back in her own time period. Um, and so it probably confuses her why people would, you know, taking on that outsider status. Of course, what the probably is these people just are people who feel, like outsiders, like most, like some people do, like, you know, like it's not abnormal to feel that you are, don't belong, right? That there's, you know, every, I think probably everyone feels like that at some point or another. And uh, just now they have something to attach it to and say, you know, I've, I've always felt like out of place. I always felt like I didn't belong. And well, I guess it's because I'm really supposed to be in the 19th century. I'm supposed to be in the Norse era. I'm supposed to be the Stone Age, right? Um, when really, it's just kind of coming up with a, a, a new response to a, a very typical human emotion. But you wonder also whether she's looking at it from the standpoint of someone who, yes, is out of her time, but she sees what the modern era has to offer. Obviously there are a lot of drawbacks to the modern era compared to her era. But I think when you add and subtract everything, you would have to say that living in the modern era is better. You know, we've got a handle on most diseases. Um, most 
people around the world have access to clean drinking water, you, you know, a lot of things like that. Yeah. So I wonder if it's, it's partly that, that why would you want to abandon all of these modern conveniences? And, and in some cases, obviously, we don't need them, but many of them we do. So again, I, I think maybe that's where Are you say I don't from. need my Alexa, Dave, because I do. Uh, okay. Well, maybe, but, uh, but you know, you mentioned that, that 19th century Amish girl that's clearly not from the 19th century, unless she's a very quick learner, but, but she is the, the big mystery of this episode. Who is she and who does she work for? Because clearly she's had significant martial arts training. And like you said, she takes Navin down, you know, in, in a heartbeat. And, you know, is she connected to that drone yeah. that then hovers overhead and, and, and we assume kills Navin? I know what you're going to say about assume, but he took several shots to the chest. Yeah, yeah, he, he got shot up pretty good. Well, you know, it's, it's weird because, like, you know, you know, Navin, we hardly knew you, right? Like, you just started, you know, waving your willy around just an episode ago and now you're done. We thought Navin was the big bad, right? But he's yeah. just obviously uh, someone above him, and they have ninjas in Amish clothing. Yeah, somebody bigger and badder. And she tells him, this jungle is not as simple as yours. Yeah. So what's the motivation behind whoever is the big bad? We don't know at this point. Again, one of those, uh, one of those big mysteries. Now, the other thing I just wanted to point it out as an aside in terms of believability okay great you know we're, we're forget all the suspension of disbelief we're using for the basic premise of the story i watch these people especially nav and, and even that one scene a couple episodes back with alfidar they really throw well they don't miss right from pretty significant distances so I'm just saying. Well, maybe, I mean, if you were yeah. if if you were in a time where your survival is dependent upon your ability to to be able to use such stones accurately, then you know, you'd be, get pretty good at it, right? Yeah, I guess. Um, now, the other storyline that is pretty significant is the revelation of Tor Hund, and whether or not they're going to explore this throughout the rest of the season and into season two don't know i would guess they are but but we get that scene where he's delivering food on the bicycle crashes his bike and then he's in the public restroom washing off the sushi yeah. and repackaging it I, you know i've seen that and i'm just like you know what i think i'm just gonna cook tonight <laughs> Boy, no i'm not kidding. ordered out for a while i think <laughs> And then the janitor that's cleaning the bathroom recognizes him, kneels before him. And we've heard the idea that many of the migrants don't remember what happened. And in some cases, like him, he doesn't remember his past. So what does that mean when he gets to the 21st? We don't really know yet, but he claims to not remember his past. Now, of course, we see the flashes in, in this episode when he's remembering the battle and we see the burning cross, which, again, you know, you talked last week about 
you know, the clashing of Christianity with the Norse mythology and, and their religion, but he starts to remember a little bit. So that's a pretty cool story. But Erd, you know, why is she so intent on reconnecting with this guy that, that I guess was, was clearly the clan leader from when they were back in the uh, 11th century? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we, we saw um, a field deer back in her own time period traveling all the way up to the uh, the land of the Sami trying to find him. So, you know, and, and um, you know, there seems to be some kind of, like almost like some kind of like sexual um, what's a competition between Erd and Alfieldir for Tore Hoon's affections, almost like going from back in the day. But what's, and I, and I agree with you, but what's their motivation and intent now? Put the band back together and run roughshod over Oslo? So, or is it just simply to reconnect with people that were important in your past? Again, we don't know at this point, but the contrast, and one of the things this show does so well is set up contrasts. This guy who was clearly a fearsome warrior is trying to buy diapers at a convenience store. And he's got his card because I bought 11. The 12th one's free, but no, we don't honor that anymore. And and instead of pounding his fist on the counter and grabbing the clerk by the throat, he just meekly walks out. Yeah. And and then we get that Viking battle music that's playing a slow, kind of a slow motion scene. They go to his apartment. Now, did they buy the diapers? I guess so. She's good. You know, Alfeder's got money, obviously. But he still claims to not recognize them and tells them that he lost his language and his memory when he time graded. So both of them are convinced. You know, it was one thing when, when we just thought maybe it was Erd and that once Alfeder got involved she said nah that's not him but they're both pretty certain at this point and and uh he was the leader of the peasant army killer of olaf the stout so things are becoming a little clearer at, at this point right he just like you said i mean he was definitely a person of extreme importance like i mean that 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 janitor and they, we got his name later too i never wrote it down they, they gave it to us like twice um, but he, you know, he bows down in the toilets to this guy. So I mean, obviously, he was a person of extreme consequence, um, a, a leader who had people who were super loyal to him that we see in Alfielder and Erd. Uh, yeah, and then, but here and now, he's you know a foodie messenger, you know, a delivery guy. Which is, I'm not denigrating that that job, but you know, it seemed you know it's like kind of a little bit. Um, of uh, a of not as uh, grand, I guess, a role as he had back in the old the old days. Well, and, and the other thing that is reinforced in this episode is, is the idea that revenge knows no time boundaries, because you know the uh, men from Olaf the Stout's army are, are you know after him because he 
killed their leader. Right. And, and we also know from the first episode with Alfidar trying to track down the, the man who raped her as a 12-year-old. Sure. So, again, a common theme that seems to re- recur throughout the series so far that these people that have basically established life in the 21st but there's some unfinished business that I want to attend to as well. So how far that's going to go? I mean, he gets lured into that parking garage, whacked over the head with a wrench. And again, that's one of those things that, dude, when you think about it, it's like if you hit somebody over the head with a wrench that size, they ain't getting up. Well, he did have a helmet on, though, so I don't know if that... Uh... Oh, you're right, a bicycle helmet. Yeah. That's right, that's right. But then he, and maybe it's the blow to the head. Tell me more of this Tor Hund. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah, he gets up and, and the guys go, you know, tearing out of there. The one guy doesn't even get in the truck. He's hanging on to the hood of the truck as it tears out of the parking garage. So I, I guess that, that switch that flipped to, to bring back Tor Hund, I, I guess that happened. And it was pretty fearsome, apparently, for the, uh, the the guys of Olaf the Stout. Well, what do you make of the news that Erd has cancer? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's interesting because you know, I, I, I assume cancer was probably a thing even back then, but there obviously there's no treatment for it. You know, like she wouldn't have the opportunity like she has now to, you know, to, to treat the disease. But on the other hand, you know, she sees what it does when she talks to the, the patient in there. Uh, so, you know, it, it provides a, what, what to, I guess to, 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 to us, I guess, I don't know if we would, I, I guess every cancer, every, everyone has to go through this. I don't know, you know, I, and certainly, you know, God help me. I don't really want to know. To get a, a diagnosis like that, um, it's it's not, you know, like we think, oh, you just start treatment, right? And I don't think it's it's that easy and it's that simple. And I, I think anyone who is diagnosed with cancer has, has a process they have to go through and um, it can be very, very, very difficult. And, um, and that's multiplied by the fact that, you know, she's from a time when, you know, if you just got sick, you really there's nothing you can do about it. So you just you know, lived as much as you could until you didn't, you know. Right. And it seems as if this first scene is her just scoping out the place where she would receive treatment should she agree. And while it's easy to say on the one hand that this is a shield maiden who's endured far worse than chemotherapy, and that's not to make light of chemotherapy, as you alluded. I mean, it's it's really a very unpleasant thing for someone to have to go through but but again we know some of the things she had to endure as a shield maiden so it really humanizes her but we also see that she appears more angry about tor hun's failure to acknowledge them than alfidar does and that's when she notices erd's hospital bracelet and the fact that she has cancer and it's really an emotional moment um, because she's upset that her friend won't get treatment. And again, that's understandable that that's her initial reaction for all the things you just mentioned. But then she says, we're shield maidens. We were put on this earth to fight 
cancer is simply another battle to be fought. And, and it's just, if that's not emotional enough, no one can go to war alone. And it just, these characters, I think sometimes we do lose sight of the humanity that, that's inherent in them because of where they're from and, and some of the things they do, some of the things they say. But that, I think, really opens our eyes to you know, what kind of relationship these two women have and the fact that they are shield maidens who are brought to their knees by cancer. Right. And, of course, Alfie Dar says, yeah, next time I'll go with you. And yeah. Well, well especially Erd, who, who when we first meet her, is kind of a caricature, right? Like, we don't – she's just kind of like this crazy lady type thing. And, and we, like you said, we do – you know, this does go a long way to humanizing her. But, of, of course, we just see a lot more of her in this episode and see more dimensions to her character that they're able to flesh her out. A lot more, but yeah, and, and how Al Fielder puts it is just this is you know we fight, we fight till the end. This is just another thing to fight against. You know, maybe you, you know the the things we're used to fighting against back in the days aren't out there anymore, and and, and you know so Erd probably is, is feeling a sense of of obviously displacement as most of them do, but you know uh, her whole world view has kind of been cracked. But as Alfielder puts it, like, you know, this is something else for you to fight against. It's like your new challenge. Different, but, you know, a fight nonetheless. Now, the relationship between Lars and Alfieder continues to develop, and, and we get some light scenes in contrast to the other stuff. She picks him up from the hospital, and she's distraught. What kind of cop shoots her partner? He, he doesn't even seem phased by the fact that she shot him in the leg. So... Not sure what's up with that, but takes him home. And, of course, one of the first things we're wondering, is she going to come in with him because we know that his daughter's been home? Shows her friend her dad's drops stash. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't have teenagers. I was a teenager once. I don't know. You know, I mean, you have to understand how that makes your dad look right but and not this is not my parents but i I certainly know of situations where kids have gotten into their parents drug stash you know yeah Uh, it's totally happens you know like yeah um, i I mean and, and maybe that's my 21st century mentality or whatever because on the one hand that doesn't seem as bad as this but it clearly is so yeah right well it's it's not it's not great any way you know but um you know i guess this kind of brings it back to with lars is like why is lars addicted well i don't know if he is addicted to the drug. Oh, Going, I think he is. Yeah, I, I get probably safe to say, yeah, right, he is. So, you know, what, why? You know, that's like this, this whole thing, his whole, you know, use of this drug is, is a puzzle to us, especially when, again, last episode, we saw um, what it was used for and, and, you know, the effects it had on the people who time travel. I, you know, I don't know, it just is part of it. And, and certainly it's, it's not great. And certainly thinking that you're hiding anything from your kids is probably a, a foolish endeavor as well. 
and, and then when the, the friend steals one of them, okay, now, you know, we know nothing good's going to come of that, right? Oh, well, it has to. And I mean, unless it's going to be, you know, one of those, we always talk about Chekhov's gun. If you throw right. something out there, you better do something I, with I was, it. So. I was about to bring up Chekhov's gun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we will see. But the scene gets even better when she offers to cook dinner and of course i don't think any of us imagined that she would be a good cook but the food looked good yeah they, nobody seemed to be complaining they, they looked were, like they're enjoying it yeah yeah so um but but i i love when she first comes in and she gives the friend a quick stare down why but i also love the fact that she quickly wins over the girls by teasing lars about them being adults and saying things that you know most parents would think inappropriate to say in mm-hmm. front of their teenage daughters but the girls love it they're obviously that age where they see themselves as adults even though they're not quite they're right. close but they're not quite but you know fred mentions in his feedback we, you know what we said about whether or not we're we're shipping those two and and as he says in his feedback clearly the girls are <laughs> but uh yeah well um, I, I i think definitely this scene well, I mean, it's not, it's obvious, right, that they, that they are low key kind of shipping them because she asks him what he thinks about uh, sexual relations between colleagues. And of course, he's, he's taken aback by that. And she knows that he thinks she's, that she's referring to him. And she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the other guy, you know? So, yeah, the, the fact that he goes there, um, you know, I guess maybe not unlike the kiss shared between Jack O'Neill and Sam Carter in, back in um, Stargate. It's not really seriously shipping them at this point. There's like a little low-key shipping going on here that um, that they can m- maybe use in the future. But um, but I, you know, I don't even think I would, I would want to see that, right? I think they need to stay partners, right? They, if, if this well, becomes sure. a show about their personal interpersonal relationship like that then that is not as compelling as their relationship as as partners and police officers well it, it, with good writing it can be but we'll save that conversation for another day um obviously the girls are shipping them and, and why wouldn't they i mean you know ingrid's got a good relationship with her father and her father we don't know how long he's been divorced from his wife but we get the idea it's been a while and whether the drops have some implication in, in why they got divorced, we don't know yet at this point, but why wouldn't they ship this woman? She's attractive. She's a badass. She shot my father. (laughs) So, you know, so we'll see. But the other scene that kind of just falls outside of all these other storylines is the little family therapy (laughs) session Lars and Ingrid go and meet uh, her mother and Gregor's. Uh, did did you catch when she says, you know, well, I can drive. I've been driving Gregor's Tesla. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, 19th century dude driving a Tesla. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, how you know, that, that, again, for Lars, it kind of has to suck even a little bit more. You know, it's like this guy has your, he's got your wife and, and he's got a Tesla to boot, so. Well, right. But the other fascinating thing is, and it's got to drive the wife crazy, is that Gregor's 
admits he agrees with Lars, which Ingrid finds amusing. But the the two men do seem to you know have this connection, which I think goes beyond simply uh, the the family. So that'll be another interesting thing to uh, keep an eye on. And then as well, father and really daughter, quickly, walk just, uh, you know, because we yeah. I have been pretty harsh with Gregor. Uh, Gregor's, I think, in the the last couple episodes, and 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 this one, he turns out to be a, a fairly rational person, right? Like he admits that he wasn't really his that his attitude is not in in tune with the times, and, and that you know that he wasn't seeing it uh, from from Ingrid's point of view properly, and that he agrees with you know, with Lars, and so you know that's actually that that was. Yeah, we look at the guy and say, okay, well, maybe he's not as much of a, as a jerk-off as we thought he was before. But we get that great scene when father and daughter walk away arm in arm. She you know, rests her head on his shoulder. And, and again, we've seen nothing but a good relationship between these two, even though she apparently lives with her mother uh, the majority of the time. So, you know, the last thing I want to bring up is something I thought about. We don't have any evidence for this yet, but we know that the Stone Agers, the Viking era, and the 19th century people have traveled to the 21st. Is it possible that, say, we've got Stone Agers that have traveled from the Stone Age to the Viking era, and we just haven't been presented with that yet? Yeah. Viking era to the 19th you get where i'm going with that so yeah yeah um, you mean, know we, we don't s- know uh, you know we know i i assume at some point we're going to get some kind of idea of of what is the quote-unquote science behind the uh the people or, or it might not i actually would be fine if they never provide any you know rationale as to how this is happening at all because i think the story is more focused on the what how the people have to adjust now, and of course, as we you know, we said before, the the um, the allegory there of comparing it to modern immigration. So I think that's the important part. I don't know if we really need to know the how or why, though. I suspect at some point we are going to learn the how or why of of the time travel. Yeah, well, you know, we only got six episodes in this season. We are getting a season two. Uh, just. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm nervous. And, and just like you said at the beginning, these shows that you get sucked into and then there is no season two. So, right. You know, anyway, uh, what else? Anything you want to talk about? We haven't talked, you know, just the, uh, the, the one scene where Tori Hund is, um, after he's been hit by the wrench and he just starts crying and, and pleading for his life. And the guys look at him and they're like disgusted with him. Right. And and they almost are like they're, they're like ah, I can't let's just hit him with the car you know like he's not worthy of the 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 violent death by my own hand or something like that and then it also kind of ties in with when he falls off his bicycle and the woman uh, comes over to help him he sees her cross and then he sees that the cross burning like the, the the memory flash in his head so you know we talked a lot about the the, the conflict between the old religion and the uh, nascent uh, Christianity coming into Scandinavia. Um, and Tore Huns is, you know, obviously, uh, you know, him and, and Erd both are, you know, representative of that nexus of those, that, that time period there. So, 
All right. You want to hear what Fred's got for us this week? Sure. All right. Well, let's do it. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Beforeners Season 1, Episode 3. Let's start with some coincidental stuff that happened last week. When I watch an episode, I always post something on Twitter and I take a screenshot. And actually, the screenshot I took was exactly from the same scene as Dave did for the blog post. And that was the funny scene where Alf Hilder was teasing Lars with his gluten allergy. And the most peculiar of all was when I was discussing via Facebook direct messages something with Dave about Sanctuary and that in Sanctuary there is one episode where Michael Shanks plays a role. And of course we know if you follow Dave and Wayne that Michael Shanks and Amanda Tapping play a lot of seasons together in Stargate SG-1. But they also played together in one episode of Sanctuary. And in this episode, the character Jimmy James, who is played by Michael Shanks, makes a remark about Amanda Tapping's hair, or Dr. Helen Magnus' hair. I like your hair. And, of course, Helen Magnus has dark hair in Sanctuary, whereas she has S.M. Carter in SG-1 blonde hair. So that's a reference back to Stargate SG-1, where they played 10 seasons together. And then Dave made a remark about a lot of references to Firefly in the series Castle, two series in which Nathan Fillion plays a major role. And at the moment I get this Facebook direct message from Dave, what am I doing? I'm watching Serenity, the first episode of Firefly, because I do a rewatch of Firefly. How crazy can you get it? So, in the theme, what are you watching? I'm currently watching a rewatch of Firefly and, of course, the film Serenity. And follow your podcast, Dave and Wayne, about this series, because I never had listened to that. And actually, you did every other week a podcast about Firefly. And in between, you did a podcast about the second season of Dark Angel especially because your listeners asked for that. Noticing that there was once a time that you did listen to the requests of your listeners. Of course, I'm referring to the poll I once did. So what I do is actually follow in time what you did then, back in 2015. So I'm also watching now, for the very first time, the second season of Dark Angel. And nicely listen to both podcasts about these two series. Furthermore, I fully agree with what Wayne said last week. A fantastic end of the second season of Snowpiercer. Really, really good show. And as I said before, you see the hand of Graham Manson here, who is also one of the creators of Orphan Black. Okay, let's talk about the third episode of Beforeners. Somehow I was a little bit right, because last week I was discussing whether this nude guy from the Stone Age was really having this big house and this big influence, etc., which was a quite bit unlikely, or I thought he could have been a person from our time acting like somebody from the Stone Age. 
And the funny thing is, not with him, but in this episode, we see people from our time that go into the spirit of the time others came from. People identifying themselves with the groups that arrived from other times. So that was not such a crazy idea. It was a bit unlikely that the bohemian girl that stole the police data also could overpower Naven Unkient, our Stone Age nude guy. You were discussing last podcast whether we ship Alfeder and Lars. Well, it's clear that Lars's daughter Ingrid and her girlfriend do ship them. I think that was quite funny and also the scene with the dishwashing and Alfeder asking if there is any problem of sexual relationships between colleagues. And that she has no problems of sharing photographs of her private parts with anybody. And that is even quite liberal for the Scandinavian Lars. Big question at the end is of course who is behind the shooting drone. I will give it a B- or perhaps a B if I disregard all the execution stuff as I explained in my last feedback in the previous podcast. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, you know, I've said many times I love when shows make allusions and references to one of the actor's other shows. And he's talking about uh, Amanda Tapping's hair in Sanctuary versus SG-1 because Michael Shanks was uh, guest starring in Sanctuary. And, and of course, there's tons of Firefly references in Castle, as he points out. But I forgot that we alternated Firefly and Dark Angel season two there for a while. I think we eventually stopped alternating, but I don't remember anymore. I'd have to go back and look, but yeah, I, I'm I think, not sure that's that, I think a good that, idea. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, was that the only time we did? I think that's probably the only time we did that, I think, right? I don't even know why yeah. we did it in the first place. I um, think we couldn't decide. I think we, we that was our refusal to make a tough decision. So Right. Uh, yeah, I we think just, we, we had decided to do Firefly. That everyone was like, oh, you got to do season two. And so as Fred points out, that is the only time we ever listened to our fans. I don't think that I don't, that's, I don't think yeah. I agree with that. But yeah. – uh, <laughs> But he did get that shot in. Well done, Fred. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's crazy to think how long this, this thing's been going on, man, that uh, I can't remember exactly. And, and, you know, we were talking about Star Trek uh, Into Darkness the other day, and I thought that was something we talked about recently. Apparently, it was something we talked about like eight years ago. So, Yeah, yeah. July 2012 was the uh, the start. But yeah. uh, he also brings up uh, uh, thinking that Navin was posing as a Stone Ager, which is exactly the first thing I thought as well. And it's an idea that, that certainly is built upon in this episode. I don't think that's the case with Navin. And we talked last week about whether or not it's believable that he would be able to execute you know, this, this crime empire, the way he has. And and in this episode, we really hear his language barriers, I guess would be a good mm-hmm. way to put it. But I, I guess it really, it's not that much of a barrier. He, he gets his point across. He just does it in a relatively inarticulate way. So, right. um, but, and, and I guess that's the, you know, the, the people who, you know, the writers, bowing to not obviously not to our personal 
um, criticism from last week. But the uh, the idea of that, yeah, these Stone Age people, you know, it's it's not like they spoke a different language. They their language was, you know, barely a language at all. Probably we don't actually know, right? Because they didn't write anything down, so we have no clue. It's it's just you know theories and everything. But but certainly that they would have to you know acknowledge in some way that. Um, that the the especially the people from the Stone Age would would definitely have problems with language acquisition. You know, the TARDIS can go back in time, right? It can. Yeah. So what so. the hell? <laughs> they just do a crossover with Doctor Who. Is that what you're saying? Uh, uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, all right. Anything else about Fred's feedback? No, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Fred, thank you. And uh, yeah, again, we've been having some great Facebook discussions with Fred about, you know, this show, other shows uh, we're all watching. So, uh, Fred, thank you. Well, I guess this is a good time to talk about a grade. I, I think we forgot last week and I just threw in an A minus on that episode. I'm uh, kind of yeah, leaning that way again. Yeah. This I, was, I was giving this one a B plus. Um, I'm not I'm really sure why I gave it like a minus B plus. I was thinking, um, I don't know. I should just go a minus, except I just don't want to give it too many A's, you know? Okay. Well, that's, that's reasonable. So I think that's, so we'll that's that so is, is not necessarily reasonable. <laughs> it's just, I just don't want to overgrade so much. So I, I just need to throw a B in there every once in a while just to keep it, uh, just to keep it real, you know? Okay. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week's podcast. That will do it. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Be Foreigners, anything going on in your genre TV world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. If you want to shoot us an email, it's sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to talk about episode four of the HBO Max series, Be Foreigners. But until then, you know, Dave, I just, I, everyone, I, you, you know, you got your first vaccination shot. I'm, I've got both of my shots. I think the more vaccination, we get things back to normal. And this summer can go back to normal. Just bumming around in the car for months, just dancing, drinking, and shagging. <laughs>